Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who, who, who makest the minds of the faithful to be of one will, grant unto thy people that they may love what thou commandest, and desire what thou dost promise, that among the manifold changes of this world, our hearts may there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. So, James 2, let's just dive in, verses 1 through 13. Who would like to start us off by reading James 2, 1 through 13? I'll start with Okay. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. You have not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Good. So, um, before we really dive in, here's that one portion of look. Uh, verse 12 on your sheet there. Uh, all those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James is referring to the whole of God's word. In the New Testament, we are free from our sins in Christ. We have risen with Christ and now live with him in service to God. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The writer of Hebrews asks in chapter 2, verse 3. We are not going to be judged by God's promises, but we will be judged on the basis of whether we have accepted them or rejected them as evidenced by our lives. So that is a different way of speaking, at least probably to most of us, because we hear a lot about God's promises, right? That um, God's promises are sure and they are trustworthy. And yet there is that side of things that James gets into that may be very uncomfortable for us to talk about. Um, but you actually see it elsewhere, like in Paul as well, 
and Peter, um, they're just not as in your face as James is with this stuff, which is good. It's refreshing on some level to say, okay, so what do we do with good works? Um, how do we view these things, right? So it's interesting to see that, that, that sentence or those two sentences there. We are not going to be judged by God's promises, but we will be judged on the basis of whether we have accepted them or rejected them as evidenced by our lives, right? The simple fact that Christ has died for all people does not mean that all people will be saved. That makes sense? I mean, that's, that's objective and subjective justification in a nutshell, right? That objectively, God, you know, God the Son has died for all people. <coughs> but those benefits are not received by everybody because not everybody believes that he has died for them, right? You only receive the benefits through faith, Okay, so that does mean, and we're going to get into this t tonight, where what does that mean with faith and works? What kind of life do you now live as a Christian that professes a certain way, right? Wh what impact does that have, have on your life? And we're going to get into that. Um, first of all, any questions about verse 12 there before we dive in? Pastor, yep. I don't think I have the right paper. You I don't? have uh, James 2 through 13. Oh, did you check the other side? Yeah. Oh. There you go. Sorry. Right. That's okay. Yeah, oh. they're front and back. It's okay. There you go. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. No, I want you to be on the right page. <laughs> so, so. Oh, where's all my papers at? Yeah, no, right. Um, so, anybody have any questions about verse 12 there? Okay. Well, you might have questions as we go along, so let's just dive in, okay? So discuss, in, in the discuss portion here, in verse 4, James tells us not to become judges with evil thoughts. <coughs> Explain what he means by that. You see that in verses 1 through 4. So explain what he means by that. But you may be trying to exalt yourself by showing partialism. Yeah, partiality. Um, and that's that's one thing I'll quibble with this little sheet, is that it, it starts off with partiality in some places. Oh, no, it, it, it kind of wants to talk about favoritism. But we're not... Favoritism is too broad. Um, partiality is what we're talking about. And James is very specific about what that means. And I think we oftentimes get too broad with what partiality means. Um, and we... We take James to say more than what he's actually saying here. So we'll dive into that in a second. So you think that by showing partiality, that will exalt someone, or that'll exalt yourself in some way? How so? Well, I, I would, you may see, like, say it says the rich man who with gold rings and fine clothing. Mm -hmm. You know, you may see that and, and favor that person because he has and you want. Like, that's your nature. Mm, yeah. Is to covet. Okay, yeah. Um, which means you've broken the Eighth Commandment. Uh, and by dishonoring the ninth poor or man. Yeah. Or, yeah. The Eighth yes. Commandment is uh, not yeah. bearing false testimony. Or bearing false okay, but you know what? Exalting someone else can actually be bearing false testimony. That's false. that's what I meant. I just okay, got yeah, my I got commandments. Good save there, buddy. Good <laughs> save. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways. Well, and along the same lines, if you're looking down on the poor man... 
that's kind of self-righteousness too. Mm. So yep. you're exalting yourself that way also. That's good. Yep. Okay. I have, you assume one man just because of what he dresses and his riches is worth more or is more worthy than another man. You know, all are created in God's image. You have no right to judge one man or another. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, those are all very, very good. They're all in the same vein of thought there that definitely complement each other on exactly what James is getting at here, that you are, if you show partiality, and he's talking specifically about the rich and the poor. If you show partiality, which, by the way, uh, the Greek uh, word for um, partiality is uh, prosopolemsia. Um, and what that and within that word is built in the word face, and it literally means to lift up one's face um, when you see who they are, like just on the outside, right? When you see them externally for who they are, you lift up their face, not because of their merits, not because of you know faith or or anything else. It's just because of the outward appearance. You are you are exalting them in that way. Reminds me of First Samuel that the man judges by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's right. Yeah, that's that's in the same vein. Absolutely. Um, so we see here that when we show uh, when we show partiality to the rich and disregard the poor, we're judging people right by that by that external appearance because we think maybe that rich person could give us some kind of gain, right? We gain favor with them and therefore we're getting a little kickback or some favor on some level. Um, but it's, it's insulting because, um, uh, well, we'll get into this in the next one too, but when you exalt the ones who are lofty in the world's eyes, you dishonor the humble whom God himself raises up, right? So it's like, even though you, so it's basically like saying, God may raise you up, but I'm casting you down because obviously you're not worth as much as this other person is. Yeah. Um, so it's a wicked thought because it rejects the common faith shared by all Christians, whether they're rich or poor or whatever, right? It's not treating them as a brother. Um, yeah. It goes a lot darker too, is the minute you start thinking of one person or couple people as lower or worth less than another. You get eugenics, you get genocide, you get all that stuff. <clears throat> right. Well, but in also, and that's a very broad sense too. And to keep it a little, to keep it more specific, James is talking about the church, right? He's talking about fellow believers. So he says if, if someone comes into the assembly, right, the congregation, um, and he's wearing fine clothes, and then, a man in shabby clothes also comes in, right? And you see the difference between treating those two guys according to the way they're dressed. Um, yeah, you have this um, this imbalance. This, you know, it's it's something that we'll get into more, but I'll just broach it here. That that um, when you hear about partiality in our world today, the world you know, commonly known, I guess, is like what woke progressive mind mindset thought or whatever, AKA communist, you know, um, you no seriously, <laughs> I slightly joke about that, but this communist Marxist idea 
that we should all be of one station. Like everybody's of one station. You know, that's the, that's the Marxist thought of um, from each according to his ability to each according to their need, right? That sort of idea. That it's forced or coerced. That's not what James is talking about here. James is not talking about flattening everything out um, because that's not possible. Right? There are some people who are going to be uh, born to a richer family or a poorer family or are going to be maybe once rich and then become poor, you know, or something like that. Like you cannot just control all these things, but that's not what James is concerned about. James is concerned about those who gather in the church and making sure that they are given the honor that is due to them because of their faith as Christians, right? This is not something about showing partiality um, to, I don't know, let's say like your family over some stranger, right? That's given. You should show partiality or uh, affinity to your family over someone you don't know, right? That's like saying, I'm, I'm not going to allow some man in off the street into my house at midnight who just simply says, I need a place to sleep. Can I stay here? I'm not just going to say, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you go into my kid's room? <laughs> right? That, that's, that's foolishness. Right? That's foolishness. I'm shirking my responsibility as a husband and a father by letting some strange man into our home without first saying, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you coming to my house? Yada, yada, yada. Right? So we, he's, he's not saying that we should be so open-minded that our brains fall out, um, that we disregard all reason and logic about, about what God has given to us to take care of and say, we should just be impartial to everybody. It's like, treat everybody, and he's going to get to this, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to get specific with that too. But when he says, judges with evil thoughts, so we see there that... Uh, the thoughts are wicked because they reject the common faith shared by all Christians, rich and poor, right? It is showing partiality. And what he's also talking about, too, is when there are disputes. Let's say that, the, that there, there's a dispute between a rich Christian and a poor Christian because the poor Christian did some work for the rich Christian and says he still owes me something from my work. And instead of actually arguing the merits of the case or listening to the merits of the case, right, you just simply side with the rich man and say, well, I trust him. And therefore, you know, you need to get out of here. And, you know, even if you don't say it, everybody knows why you're siding with the guy who's rich, right? I mean, without any sort of trial or meeting or counsel or whatever. Um, and that happens with Christians, right? I mean, someone this morning said they've known of people in the church who have had disputes, right? And we should try and, you know, whenever we can, do business with each other in the church, right? To raise each other up in our stations as best we can, um, to take care of our to take care of our brothers in the faith that way. Not not necessarily through charity always, but to say, hey, do you need a job? I know so and so who. Is trying to find someone for this task or whatever. Yeah, that's a good thing for us to do as the church to lift each other up in that way. But there's, but with that comes the possibility of disputes and the need for reconciliation. And sometimes, unfortunately, that stuff has to go to the civil courts. 
But before it goes to the civil courts, we should do as Jesus says, right? And try and reconcile with our brother before we get there, lest, you know, we, he takes everything that we have, right? Um, and rightfully so, probably. But going to the civil courts doesn't really solve a whole lot except to say you get your monetary gain out of it. You know, it doesn't bring reconciliation as it would in the church. So try and resolve these things within the congregation as best you can. And when all else fails, then I guess you got to go to the civil courts so that, I mean, the poor guy's got to eat. And if that's the only way he can, he's got he's to do what he's got to do, right? But that's a shame if, someone, if that moves on to the, the courts when it can't be solved in the church. Any, any thoughts about that? Well, the uh, you know the appearance of nice clothes and stuff. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people get caught up in this who you are. You know, like George Strait comes here once in a while because he's got a lot out there at the golf course. Yeah. Oh, oh, George. Yeah. Oh, if I could only uh, go see him or whatever, be next to him or yeah. Or like in my mom's days back when uh, Elvis Presley was running around, you know, everybody going crazy or. Sometimes I think it's just not clothes. It's like who the oh, person yeah. is. It's status. Status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, George Strait doesn't go to our church, so I guess we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> uh, it'd be cool if he did. But. And then it's still a matter of like trying to exalt yourself because even if you meet that person, now you have like a cool story to tell. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Make your, yeah. You know, now you're the cool guy amongst your friends or your circle or whatever. I did. I got to see. Posting it all on your social media yeah. page if you have one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're into that. Yeah. If you're into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, abs- absolutely. That status can go to your head. And I mean, it's cool to see George Strait. It's cool to see somebody famous on some level. But I mean, uh, you know, if they go to your church and they get into a dispute with somebody, you got you need to make sure that you don't let George Strait being George Strait <laughs> affect whatever judgment is between him and somebody else. Right. Yeah. Or say like somebody like George Strait monetarily is a member of your of your church. You can't serve God and mammon. Right. So when something like a dispute like that happens and you don't want the rich guy to leave your congregation because he's donating a lot. That person yeah. who doesn't really yeah, have the funds, you know, yeah. but the woman who gives that one penny is giving all she has. That's right. She's giving more than these people are giving from their Yeah, well, yeah. Their abundance. Yeah, yeah. You know. So there's there's something to be said for that and there's something to be said for like, I before I graduated the seminary, I heard all those horror stories. It's like, well, what if you get that one instance where you get that one guy in the congregation who's who's like the most wealthiest guy in the congregation, and all of a sudden he wants you to marry his daughter, but his daughter hasn't, you know, he he wants you to marry his daughter and her fiance or whatever, and but she hasn't been to church in five years, and also they're living together. What do you do with that guy? Do you ruffle his feathers by doing the right thing and saying y'all can't live together? I won't marry you unless you separate, at least until you're married, right? What do you, so that's that's like a big question for pastors, especially to say, um, who do I fear, love, and trust in above all things, right? Do I do the right thing and for the sake of their salvation and say, and, and for the sake of their marriage, right? 
and say, you got to stop this because it's not good. And, you know, not only does God's word say it, that's, that's the most important thing. God's, God's word makes clear you shall not commit adultery. But on top of that, look at the statistics, right? 65%, actually it's like more than that. It's like 75% of those who cohabitate before marriage, they get a divorce, right? I mean, it's one of those things that you just can't, you just cannot mess with. But if that guy's going to get upset and say, if you don't do this, I'm leaving, a pastor has to be fortified and say, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. And I pray that you'll come back. Dude, I tell people that now that we're like Hope and I are engaged. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, so y'all are thinking, are y'all thinking mm-hmm. of moving in together? And really? Like that. And I'm like, no, so not until we get know. married. Yeah. <laughs> and people look at me like I'm Frankenstein's oh, yeah. monster or something. Yeah, and they're then like, maybe you should like carry it's, your... Like, it's weird. <laughs> maybe you should carry around in your back pocket just like the statistics of divorce for cohabitating couples <laughs> and just say, here you go, here you go. That's why we're not doing that. Yeah, hold on to that and give it to your kids if they need it, right? Sorry, but it's one of those things, like, they just don't get it. And you go, well, do you understand, like, how bad divorce is in this day and age? Like, and that's not helping anything. You think it's, oh, people just don't think. I was telling the new guy I worked with, I was I was telling him, I was like, the, the world, because he thought it was like, kind of like, you know. Weird. I was like, the world wants to tell you that these things that God's telling you to do is like, oh, God doesn't want you to do these things. He's, he's he doesn't want you to have fun and do the yeah. things that come natural to you. Natural. Yeah. You're like sinful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And I was like, and what he's doing is giving you this like awesome gift. Mm-hmm. You just have to believe that it's it's his gift to you. Yeah. It's one of those and things it's, it's not like this restrictive thing. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, it's like it's like uh opening your birthday gift or your Christmas present six months early, <laughs> not so great. You know, and then and then packaging it up and opening it again on Christmas Day, you go, <laughs> eh, whatever. No big deal. Or like when I was a kid, I would like <laughs> try know. to seek out the Christmas presents <laughs> yeah. and I found them sometimes yeah. and then on Christmas day it, it wasn't did, it lacked luster yeah. it was it was it was not as special yeah it was not as good yeah yeah but no, it did teach me like that Santa Claus wasn't real though well that's well because I would get that present and would say from Santa and I'm like mm-hmm. well he oh, is real. okay <laughs> he, you know Saint Nicholas was a real man so let's just be honest you know Saint Nicholas of Myra he was a real man so he's long dead Yes, he has been long dead. He's not out riding around in a sleigh and all that stuff. He's not eating the cookies. And... No. <laughs> anyways, um, so anyway, so back back to yeah. James here. So we see that becoming judges with evil thoughts, right? That's that's that partiality actually can kill somebody, right? To judge him, to judge with partiality can <coughs> kill someone. Especially if it's the instance of a poor man versus a rich man in the church, and that poor man really needs the money to feed himself and his family, right? That's detrimental, and when you simply disregard it, you're showing hatred, right? It's not love. So now, now we get to the next question, rich versus poor. The problem existed in James's day, of course, the, and James looks at both groups of people, and and. It, Sorry. James looks at both groups of people um, and equalizes them. 
How does he exalt the poor and humble the rich with this? What does he do? It says that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, which means they gain everything in the end. Yeah. Right? And all the riches of this world will eventually pass away. Yeah. Those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith. I mean, he's even talking about rich people too, you know, in some sense. They forsake the world for the sake of Christ. Yeah. I mean, um, that's what we said in one of our last classes where we said, you know, that the rich man should boast in his humiliation according to the world, right? Um, that he humbles himself before God and gives of what he has to take care of others. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts about that? Yeah, Sean said in the end, my thought was, you know, the exaltation of the poor and humbling of the rich and may not come until judgment. Right. And that's exactly what James has in mind here. Honestly, he's got in mind judgment day. On that last day, we will be judged. Um, we don't like to think like this because maybe it makes us uncomfortable, but we will be judged by what we do. I mean, look at the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's what we do in faith that matters. Yeah, like I said, like like I showed you with the meme, faith is never alone from works. You know, it, at least the true faith, uh, the faith that lives, is never apart from works, and works should never be apart from faith, uh, because if they are, then they're damned. You know, they're damnable. Um, but here, what is what does Paul say? It says here, read what Paul says about Christians in First Corinthians one twenty six through 31. Did y'all read that? Glory in the Lord. Yeah, boast in the Lord, right? Yeah, so, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? That all are humbled for the sake of Christ and then exalted for the sake of Christ. Right? Um, the poor are rich in Christ, but as we saw before, the rich often show their greed by dragging others into court. Right? Um, to get, to get more, because riches, earthly riches, are a handicap as far as true faith is concerned. They are a hindrance. They can be. Right? They are a big temptation for people that have riches. See, and that's what, what this whole prosperity, Christianity, gospel, yeah. prosperity gospel stuff, mm -hmm. and they really must be not reading a lot no. of the Bible. No. No, of course not. It's, it's just like every. It's just like all the other ones that are in error. You know, it's buffet Bible. I pick and choose what I want and I'll leave the rest behind. You know, um, it's just it's just kind of like well, I pay attention to that one because I really like that one. Instead of and that's why probably a lot of people don't read James or other books like him because they get uncomfortable when he says things like you know faith without faith apart from works is dead, right? Which we'll get into. Any yeah, thoughts? Verse six, you know, the rich are dragging into courts in our country today. 
there's a whole lot better chance of being a millionaire by taking somebody to court than there is winning yeah. a lottery. Right, yeah, yeah. It don't have to be the rich dragging you into court. <laughs> no, not necessarily, yeah. I have written down for that. I'm not sure how he equalizes them, but it says you have reverence for the witch who in turn oppress you, dragging to court, you know, get the riches from you, whereas the poor have not wronged you. They're just poor. Yeah. They're only, you know, quote, sin is being poor. Right. I have a question on verse 7. Okay. Do they not, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which they are called? What are they called? What is that worthy name was referring to? Uh, the honorable name is the Trinitarian name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would so gather. the rich being called that it has a reference. Exactly. So are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name? But which ye? Who? What is you? Who is ye referring? Who to? he's? Who he's talking to at the time? Um, okay. So and that's 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 another question. I didn't bring this up the last couple times. I brought it up in a morning class, and I got I I, I got some pushback for it. <laughs> but I'm going to bring it up now. Um, there is a thought, and take it take it or leave it. But there is a thought that James primarily is writing to pastors in this epistle for them to share with their people. Uh, and by, I say, by that, I mean when he says, my brothers, right? When he's saying that, um, it's not just some casual reference like, hey, bro, what's going on, man? Or, hey, my brother, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's like literally they are brothers in the office of the apostolic uh, the apostolic office of the pastoral office, right? So he's that's that's a thought. Sounds and, a little too Roman Catholic. Oh, what a shame, <laughs> brother. What a shame. Yeah, I know, right, brother? Yeah, don't call me father either. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, it's like so. My brothers show no partiality, and the thought behind that is this: he's telling pastors this because they're the ones who are going to be adjudicating between disputes in a congregation, right? Uh, so and 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 also, the thought is that pastors are not immune to the persuasions of wealth from other people, uh, and if the pastor sets the tone, you know, for others to follow, then pastors need to be careful, and then they would, by extension, share this with others as well. So that's just a thought. Take it or leave it. Um, but the thought that I've read at least when doing my studies on this is that um, it makes yeah, James is talking to pastors. Because if I switch to NIV, it's a little more clear. Sure. At first, um, he's warning the pastors, like you said, against favoring them. Mm-hmm. He has two very obvious reasons. One, they oppress you, so why take their side? And two, <laughs> they blaspheme the name of whom you belong, the church or Christ. Right. And so, yeah, two examples of why you should not just tell them you shouldn't, but why you shouldn't. That's exactly like right. Yeah. yeah, and they blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called by doing exactly what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they blaspheme God by basically saying they're more important because of their wealth. Um, by saying that God is a liar in exalting the humble because they're exalted in their mind, right? Yeah, look at all I have. Look how God has blessed me. Yeah, exactly, right? So they blaspheme God with that. Yeah. Um, and this is another thing also, too. Uh, if you want to write this down for your references, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Um, St. Paul says... Um, 15 through 19? 17 through 19. So, so 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 
is where he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves um, as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Right, so that's instructions for rich people as Christians. Yeah. Don't set your mind on the rich, on the riches, set your mind on God. It's kind of like in Deuteronomy, in, going through Deuteronomy mm-hmm. in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, that's something that Moses reminds the people, like when you come into this land of flowing with milk and honey, don't idolize the milk and honey. Right. Turn back to the one who is giving you this. That's right, the giver of the good gifts. Yeah. That's right. All right, any, any, any more questions about that? <laughs> Let's go on to the next one. So how do the words love your neighbor as yourself help us solve the problem of what I'll say partiality, specifically? Not so much favoritism. Well, I put down everyone as our neighbor, Good Samaritan parable. Okay. Okay. Everyone. Everyone is my neighbor? Yeah. That's what I put down too. Everyone is my neighbor? Like even my family, my rich, oh, okay. my yeah, rich okay. family, my I poor family. I mean, everybody. Sure, sure. But everyone is my neighbor? Everyone? Oh, man. I don't know. Have you heard that? Have y'all seen the movie The Incredibles? Yeah, remember yeah. that part where uh, they say, everyone is special, Dax? He says, which is to say that no one is. Right? <laughs> yeah. It can be applied to the same thing with neighbor, right? Everyone's my neighbor, um, then no one is. Just like everyone's my brother, but then no one is, right? No, not everyone is my brother. Not everyone is my neighbor. The person over in Europe, Asia, Russia, Africa, whatever, the person out in Oklahoma or something, the person, the person down in Kerrville, yeah, they're not my neighbor, properly speaking, because they're not the person that I see every day. Right? Or they're not the person that's in close proximity to me. Right? I don't mean to say we can't help people in Kerrville. Right? I don't mean to say we can't help people in Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, whatever, Oklahoma. Yeah. But if you were visiting say, on vacation to one of those places. What's that? Yeah, sure. Then the person right in front of you is your neighbor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, all about, that's what I'm... Yeah, it's all about proximity. So you, in some sense, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing on you a little bit here to really think about this. What does it mean that you're, you're your neighbor? Like, how could the Good Samaritan help that guy unless he was right there? Yeah? That Good Samaritan was not liable for that guy unless he was right in front of him, right? And when Jesus asks, you know, like the, the guy says, you know, who is my neighbor? And he tells the parable. And then Jesus says, so then who is the neighbor, and he says the one who showed him mercy, right? But he showed him mercy because he was right there. So I guess my point is this, is that James is being very specific. In fact, we we need to make sure that we we, we hone in because this is this is why I'm 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 harping on this because if because the world um, I'll I'll be bold here and say this the world and even the devil want us to believe that everybody is our neighbor. 
and that everybody is our brother. Why would he want to do that? So that we are confused. Okay? So that we're confused and we are scattershot with what we do and how we live out our faith. Would, would this be something, I, I guess, because I used to, I still complain about this. <laughs> okay. Um, especially because I, I see it all over social media all the time. Like something will happen in like, for instance, Baltimore. Yeah. Okay. And people here in Fredericksburg uh-huh. are so caught up mm-hmm. in what's going on in Baltimore. Yep. And or some social movement or something or yep. some murder case or whatever. Yeah. That they don't even know what's going on in their own community. That's right. They're so focused on yes. what's happening to this. That, yeah, that's that exactly you, right. Is that... I, I think so. I think that it is it is a big distraction on some level. <laughs> because we as Christians should hear about this. You know, I don't, I don't check out the news all the time. Uh, but when I do or when I hear people saying things, I'm, I'm hearing about what shootings all the time. Um, but, um, but, but as a Christian, I should be first and foremost praying about those things, right? Um, and if I can do something about it, then I will. But the world wants us to feel guilty when we don't. Like how many times do you see in the face of a lot of tragedies and people say, you know, well, first of all, they shouldn't say thoughts and prayers. It's just, just pray, right? Thinking about something doesn't really do much. So you pray for them, right? You pray to God Almighty who can do something about it so that he will do something, right? But the thing is, is that how many people do you get saying your thoughts and prayers are worthless? They don't do anything. Why are you praying about it? Do something. And I go, stop blaspheming the name of our Lord. You are. Right? I am doing something. I'm praying. God is the only one who will be able to really do anything about it anyways. And then if I can give to a fund that I hear about, fine. That's great. That's great. The reason why I say this is because, like you said, we oftentimes are so concerned about what's going on far, far away that we never even get to know the person that lives next door or across the street or whatever, or the person at work, right? We never get to know them because we're too concerned with the war in Ukraine or, you know, uh, what's going on with China or, or, or in Africa or whatever. And we pray for those people. And if we can support them, then fine. But if you're supporting someone else far, far away and shirking whatever responsibility you have to the person that's right in front of you, I, you know, you're not obeying the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Might be showing partialism. Yeah, partiality. Partiality. Partialism Sorry. is a not heresy. Partialism, yeah. partialism is a heresy of the Trinity. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but partiality. So, do you see? What, does Does that make sense? Yeah. So, sending all the uh, money to East Palestine was that a good or bad thing? No, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. They're not. No. That's not fine. Right next to us. No, they're not right next to us. No, don't get me wrong. We but should they're both the same. It's okay. Yeah, we should give charitably, and when people are hurting, we should we should help. But if we're doing that while like and and saying that that's our that's our only good work, and you see someone dying on the side of the road, and you go, "Well, I don't need to help them. I help the folks in East Palestine." Oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really what I mean. I mean, who would be so crass as to do that? But 
you know, sometimes we soothe our consciences by saying, I don't need to contribute to what's going on in my own town because I give to uh, whatever that's helping people in Africa or whatever. You that's know? what so, you were saying about tithing last week. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't help you because I already did my tithe for this other thing for the month. So yeah, or sorry. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it, it's also kind of interesting that if you read what the screw tape letters, um, that's one of the tactics of the demons in that book, at least. Have you all read the screw tape? Letters. That's yeah. one of his tactics because what's going on during the screw tape letters is World War II, right? And the subject of the demons' um, focus of trying to make him fall from faith is a British man, right? And so they've got what the Battle for Britain going on. There's stuff going on in Germany, and uh, what screw tape is writing to Wormwood, right? Mm-hmm. And screw tape is telling Wormwood get him more concerned about everything going on in foreign lands. So that he doesn't have, basically, he, he doesn't say it like this, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but the idea is that get him to be more concerned about what's going on far away so that he doesn't pay attention to his own household, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know what? That's actually not a good thing, right? If you neglect your own household. Why is that? Why do you think that's a bad thing to neglect your own household? Family is first. Yeah. Uh, and... Paul even says something about it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 8. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you shirk your responsibility with your family for the sake of other people, you don't get it. Right? You don't get it. I know somebody who would do things like that uh-huh. and then call them... He would admit to being... Selfless. Mm. What a great admission. Selfless. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm like the most one of the most selfless people you probably have. Oh, you know, I'm just the most humble person I know. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that's all I've, that's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. So, and the other thing is this these terms have very clear, concise definitions. Your brother is your brother, right? Your family is your family. It's very narrow, right? You only have, you know, your parents, your siblings, your cousins, your aunts, whatever. You know, you have your family. And then neighbor is a more broad term. Neighbor is anybody that's in close proximity to you. Your your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever. They are not only those things, they are also your neighbor. So they are in close proximity to you. They take precedence because of the family aspect, but they are your neighbor and they fall under that same rule. But also your neighbor is your neighbor, right? They're within that broader scope. It's those who are in close proximity to you. And if you really think about it, that's really what's wrong. That's a big part of what's wrong with our country nowadays Everyone's so busy worried about national politics, they don't even care about what's going on in the next election for the city council or what's up for referendum or whatever, talking about school board elections, school board or municipality issues. More concerned with that they cannot control or affect and the stuff they have direct control or effect over. That's right. And who's going to be more benefited by those things than your community when you vote or when you support or you, when you advocate or whatever, or you volunteer or what have you. 
right? I'm not trying, and this is like, some people might say, are you getting political, pastor? And it's like, well, the handout I gave you says that we should live holy Christian lives, that we don't have a God of the gaps. He doesn't fill in the gaps that are filled in by other things. He fills all things, right? He has something to say about everything. And if we don't live our Christian lives in its fullness, we fall short, right? And we're not going to be perfect in that, but we should strive for the good things, you know? Strive for it. Um, now, I'm going off a lot on this, but, you know, when we use the words uh, love your neighbor as yourself, it helps solve the problem of partiality because we treat our neighbors, family, friends, people in close proximity, right? Those who are right next to us, even a stranger, right? You're out on the street or whatever. I mean, Luther talks about this in talking about the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. It's like if you're passing by a river and somebody's drowning, that person's your neighbor. You need to go get them out. If you don't save them from drowning, you are guilty of their murder. You've shown hatred for them because you're not loving them by saving them. Murder right? by omission or no, murder by inaction. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. So it's one of these things of like, we need to be careful about these terms. They are very specific. Um, and they actually help us do the right thing, right? Because otherwise, if everybody's my neighbor, if everybody's my brother... I'm doing something over here, I'm doing something over there, I'm doing something here, when the person right in front of me is not getting what they need, yeah? Um, and also, it's like, it's like uh, Nehemiah, right? They are rebuilding the walls to Jerusalem. What do they do? They have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other that as they build and they defend, you know, they do it one after the other. If one guy is on one portion of the wall, and he's more concerned about that guy's portion over there, he's not going to get his stuff done, right? If he's, if, if he's here, and then he's over there, and then he's over here, and then he's over there, he's, that part that was entrusted to him, it's not going to be fulfilled and, you know. Everybody can't do everybody's job. That's exactly right. You have your job to do. You are in your specific place at your specific time with your specific talents to do specifically what God has given you to do. Just do it. <laughs> it's not that hard, right? It's pretty simple. Um, so let's not complicate James. Let's just see. He's actually very pointed here. Yeah. So close proximity. And yeah. We're going to vote on missions here pretty soon. And one of them is to send a missionary to Africa. Okay. Sure. It's not exactly close proximity. No, it's not. And that's not to say you can't support a missionary overseas. Right? Don't, don't get me wrong about that. But if all we're doing is supporting... Missionary overseas and not uh, taking care of the food bank here, you know, or something like bad. that, right? I mean, like if you, if we wanted to add to our mission something like the uh, either either the needs council or um, the food bank, or if we wanted to add the the pregnancy center, or maybe even something in the Texas district that helps people in Texas. That's me. That's more close proximity in some sense than sending someone to Africa or whatever. You can do both though, right? You can do both, yeah? Uh, I'm not saying one is necessarily better than the other, but just don't shirk one for the sake of the other. Yeah, sure. Do not neglect your family for your neighbor. Do not neglect your neighbor for the world. Sure, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like don't, yeah, don't disregard your neighbor who's needing help because you're too concerned about what's going on in national politics or whatever. And it, it sounds like here he's, I mean, yeah, he could be talking about like the church or like a 
like a body of people. Mm-hmm. But he's also talking about individually, like apart from your congregation, like you can do things on your own. Yeah. You know, towards yeah. something that's in your community. Yeah, that 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 fits into the I guess the uniquely Lutheran understanding of vocation, right? Vocation being that God has given you a certain thing to do with where you are. You know, like if you're a son, you have you you have a duty, right? A son or a daughter has a duty to their parents. A father has a different duty than a mother or a husband and a wife and things like that. But you have your specific thing that God has given you to do and do it, right? It, it's just one of those things. Uh, do the work that you, has, you, you have given us to do before the night comes and no one can work. Um, and, and so, yeah, you do these things individually. And we as the body of Christ go out and we may do things individually, but it's just one member doing the greater good of what God has called all, all of us to do. Yeah, so you're still working in tandem with the Spirit who works through the church. So it's that mystical union of, you know, Christ and his bride, um, that sort of thing. But we won't get into that right now. All of that is to say is that James is very specific here. Our, you know, um, love your neighbor as yourself. And yeah, like I was Foreign missions is not a bad thing, because if it was, then St. Paul was sinning when he was gathering funds to send back to the church in Jerusalem, right? I mean, uh, that's, not, that's not a sin, but Paul does make clear, you know, if you neglect your relatives and your own household, then you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever, right? So that's like saying, oh, I gave to the church in Jerusalem, but... You know, my own relatives are starving to death. You go, eh, you probably should have fed them first and whatever was left over, then get to the church in Jerusalem, right? Okay, so think about those things. Um, it may be a shift in our thinking, but I think that that's a good thing because then it actually gives us something to do and focus on, right? And as, as opposed to being scattershot. Um, so, and that's, that's, that's the other thing, too. One more thing before we go on. At the end of chapter 1, when James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How can you go visit the fatherless and the widows unless they are right there in front of you? Right? I don't think he had a Zoom call in mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't think he had a Skype call or a phone call in mind. He wants you to actually go visit and be in their presence and them in yours and you actually show God's love in that way. Okay? Not that phone calls and Zoom calls are bad. Okay? Don't get me wrong on that. Okay? But it's better to do things in person. All right. So now we have what is wrong with partiality instead of favoritism. What is wrong with partiality uh, that is, what law does it break? The royal law. Okay. Specifically, what can you point to in Scripture that breaks the, that, that's breaking the law? First commandment. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so easy. Come on, man. You're right. But that's... that's you're right. That's true. <laughs> but um, it's too easy, man. It's too easy. I um, said it breaks the second table of the law, therefore the first yeah, commandment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did elaborate on why it was the first commandment, but yeah, as someone as someone once told me when I when I did had had those kind of answers in the seminary, they're like, 
So he just made like a 15-yard punt, and you made like a 60-yard punt. <laughs> you know, so congratulations. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, okay, so you are right, though. You are right that it does break the first commandment because all sin leads to it is stemming from idolatry, right? It's all breaking that first commandment of you shall have no other gods. Um, I will say, and, and some may say on some level it is breaking the fifth commandment, I think that's a little bit of a stretch unless it's a specific example, right? Like I said, there's a dispute where money is concerned and if that guy doesn't get the money that he needs, he goes hungry and so does his family. They can't take care of themselves. They're out on the street. It's murder, right? In that sense. That's very specific though, but it's not applied across the board. You could also say covetousness. That's idolatry though. So yeah, it all leads back to idolatry for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was, that's okay. where I was going to go with that. Okay, good. If you, yeah, if you want to look at a specific law, we're not usually used to going back to Leviticus, but within Leviticus, there's not just the ceremonial law, there is the moral law that is built in as well. So if you go to Leviticus 19, uh, verses 15, actually it's like starting at verse 11, but highlighting verses 15 and 18. Leviticus what? 19, 19. Leviticus 19. And we'll start with uh, verse 11. Um, and go down to verse 18. But take a take special highlight of uh, 15, verse 15 and verse 18. So um, it says, You shall not steal, you, sh you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall, not, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? So you see there, that's a specific law that is broken. Um, and the moral law has never been done away with. You know, um, it is it is fulfilled in Christ. The ceremonial law has gone away, right? We no longer sacrifice, you know, uh, bulls and goats and sheep and things like that, turtle doves or whatever, depending on the sacrifice that is called for. We don't have those ceremonies anymore, but we do have the moral law, and that's part of it, right? It is a good way to live your life, um, uh, regardless of it being in the Old Testament or New. Yeah, and notice that verse 15 there, it says, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, right? You should treat each fairly in that sense um, because, yeah, like you should judge things on the, on the merits of the case. Yeah. yeah, it's even say there, you should not be partial to the poor. Like, yep. just because they're poor, they need... Yeah. They need... The, Don't tear down the, the rich man just... Yeah. yeah, if the rich man has a case and he's and about he's to get wrong. swindled, like kind of like James said, you know, you can become a millionaire by you know these 
lawsuits, don't just don't just side with the poor man because he's poor. Uh, I mean, because he's getting something that's ill-gotten gains. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah, judging fairly, and even in Proverbs it talks about how unjust scales are an abomination to the Lord. Right. So things to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, so those are specific sins. Those are specific laws that it breaks. And we need to be specific. I'm going to harp on this a lot. We need to be specific because if we don't, I, I mean, there's a reason why James says, um, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, right, in one point, has become guilty of all of it. But you got to know what that one point is. And that's for the sake of repentance and faith, right? Because if you just if if you just say um, you know, I'm, you know, what? Guilty of the 8th commandment. All right? Well, that's pretty broad. What did you do? Cuz a cuz there can be a difference between uh, lying about somebody or gossiping about somebody or exposing something that should be hidden. All those things have different consequences on some level, and you need to be sure so that you can be aware of repenting and not doing it again by God's grace. Yeah, Be precise with your diagnosis so that you know how to treat. Yeah, Otherwise, like it's like you know, someone coming to you and saying, well, you got cancer. Where is it? Uh, I don't know. We're just going to treat you. Uh, okay. It's like, we're going to start in the liver and just move our way from there. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, because then if you have, you know, brain cancer, it's like, it's going to take you a while to get to the brain. And meanwhile, you're going to cause damage to the rest of the organs that you're trying to treat when they don't need to be treated. Right? You got to be precise. It helps. It helps. And it helps you to be ready to give an answer. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Okay. Um, what does James mean when he says that mercy triumphs over judgment? That's verse 13. This is what I put. It means that mercy will be shown to those who show mercy. Hmm. The law reveals to us the judgment we... I don't see, I don't know, now that I say that, that sounds wrong. The law reveals to us the judgment we deserve. Uh -huh. But the Lord is merciful and kept the law for us mm -hmm. so that we escape that judgment. Mm -hmm. God's mercy is his judgment to those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, yeah, I like that. Um, that's very good. But I think, well, before I go on, does anybody else have anything else? Because you're not wrong. I'm just going to throw that out there real quick before you think that that's what I'm getting at. You're not wrong. Um, I just wanted to kind of pull something out of that more. Anybody else have anything for that? Well, I just wrote that mercy is what God wants. Mm -hmm. Judgment's his job. Judgment, yeah. What Condemnation is his... Uh, so, like, we have the... In our theological understanding, God has different kinds of work. There's his proper work, and his proper work is salvation. Mercy. The alien work of God, the work that he never intended to do at the beginning, was condemnation and judgment. Right? So, so condemnation, 
or judgment in that sense is alien to what God originally intended. It's the work that he really doesn't take pleasure in doing. Yeah, no, he does not. Yeah, he, God desires for all men to be saved and brought to the truth of salvation, right? So. Oh, uh, mercy saves, judgment condemns, judgment sends us all to hell, but mercy allows us to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God shows us mercy in, that, in Christ, for sure. Anybody else before I tackle this a little bit? Um, so it is tempting to interpret this broadly again, right? That uh, God's mercy in Christ triumphs over his judgment. Again, though, James is very specific here. What's the context when he's talking about what people are doing? Yeah. So, Sean, I think you were really onto something at the, at, at the beginning there. You said, you know, those who are merciful will be shown mercy, right? Um, what is James, and, and it was brought up earlier, the full vindication is not going to happen until judgment day when Christ returns as our judge, right? Because once a judgment is made, mm-hmm. it's made. It's made. It's done. But the thing is, is that we as Christians... Uh, let me see if I can say this real uh, easily. It's kind of it's kind of a deep concept on some level. Um, we as Christians are always supposed to be mindful of Judgment Day. Right? We're always supposed to be mindful of the last day when Christ will come to be our judge. Uh, that's why in 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 Matins we have the Te Deum where we sing, uh, "He will come to be our judge." And then that's why in the Apostles' Creed, in the Nicene Creed, we say that he will come again to judge the quick and the dead, right? The uh, living and the dead. Um, We see that in Matthew, right? Uh, The parable of the sheep and the goats. So we as Christians need to be mindful of that last day because on that last day we will be judged according to what we have done in faith. In faith, okay? So um, it's one of these things where Jesus will publicly acknowledge his mercy, this mercy that we show in our lives as Christians. He will publicly acknowledge that mercy as the evidence of faith. Okay, That's why he says to the sheep, when I was sick, you came to see me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Right? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Um, and that's specifically about the brothers, you know, the brethren, the, the co-heirs of Christ in the church. But also, I mean, Peter talks about it, you know, Paul talks about it, where he's saying, you know, let your conduct be honorable amongst the Gentiles, right? So that they may glorify God if and when they come to faith, Right? Um, So it's one of these things that it's in this context of James, it means, you know, more specifically, because you're right that um, God's mercy in Christ triumphs over his judgment. But more specifically in this context, it means that the mercy we show to others triumphs over God's judgment. That sounds kind of strange, maybe, but I'll say, you know, why? Because it is a fruit and sign of our faith in Christ and shows we will stand before God on Judgment Day robed in Christ's righteousness. So, and we're going to get into this in the next part of the chapter, what good works have to do with faith. Yeah, that the mercy that we show 
as a natural result of God's mercy, overcomes judgment. Someone who needs mercy that may be an unbeliever will have something to hold on to and possibly something to um, move them toward the knowledge of salvation, right? Especially when they maybe have done something and they know they deserve a certain judgment or outcome. Mm-hmm. It's there's, a, there's a scene have you ever seen Schindler's List yeah a long time ago there's a scene where Oscar Schindler is speaking with Amon Goff or whatever his name is Yeah. he goes true true power is when you pardon somebody then he tells him the story about the guy who did this horrible thing and he is in front of the king and he knows he's going to die and he pardons him Hmm. He goes, that's where true power lies. Yeah. It reminds me of the parable of the unforgiving servant, you know, that Jesus says, where the man who owes lifetimes of a debt and and says, be merciful to me and I will pay you everything. And then the king says, you know, you're forgiven. But then from that mercy, he goes and is unmerciful to another servant that owes him an extremely smaller amount. And then that wicked servant is thrown into the dungeon and he will never get out until he repays the debt, which means he's never getting out. And his debt is pretty much like unpayable. It's unpayable. Yeah. Yeah. It's unpayable. Which means you'll never get out. Right. So it's one of those things where you say, what mercy have you been shown? And how is that mercy being shown to others? That mercy extended through you from Christ overcomes judgment. And in that sense, if we're always, okay, so when is, when is judgment day? Y'all know? Come on. Because I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Y'all don't know? Get out of here. Go find somebody that knows. You know, I'm just kidding. Now the thing is, is that we don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be 20 years from now, a thousand years from now, whatever. But we as Christians are always (coughs) preparing for that day as if it could be in five minutes, tomorrow, whatever. And we blur the line between now and judgment day by being merciful for we have been shown mercy. We blur the line. Something to think about there. I heard some pastors talk about like after Christ's ascension, um, we've always been in the end times. Oh yeah, we've all yeah, we've always been in ever since Christ ascended, we've been in the end times. And since then, we've always been waiting for him to come back. I mean, that's why they kept looking up into the sky. Because people like to think waiting. of the end times as like, they want to see it coming. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, oh, you do. this is coming, then, oh, there's the secret code in the Bible that says, like, <laughs> when the, the temple in Jerusalem is rebuilt for the yeah, third time, yeah. oh, we have 20 years, and then Jesus is going to come back. Well, it's, it's one of these I things. I like, recognize that sign. We do have signs, though, and that's the thing. Jesus says himself, he says, when you see wars, rumors of wars, you know, famine and all these things, fear and foreboding coming upon the earth, look, raise your head up because your salvation is drawing nigh, right? So he says, basically, if things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and where you think that everything is just right about to fall apart, because it is, that's when he's coming back. That's when he's coming back. 
And ever since the ascension, what's been happening? All Earthquakes <laughs> and tumults and wars and rumors of wars and famines and all these things. It happens in cycles, and we're all, and so those things are always reminders of us to be ready, always to be ready. So, and to be ready, part of this in showing mercy. Whenever we pray the Lord's prayer, and we say, "Forgive us our trespasses or our debts," right? As we forgive those who have um, trespassed against us, or as we forgive our debtors. That when we pray that. Among Christians, this is actualized in showing in showing mercy. Right? It's actualized in that way. It becomes more than words when we act it out. Yeah. Now we're gonna get to that in just a second here in the last part of James 2. Um, let's go on to the apply section, okay? Think of several reasons why Christians could fall into the trap of paying more attention to a rich person. Who comes to worship rather than a poor person? You got status or standing in the church and community, like what he said at the beginning, Sean said, benefits or hope for kickbacks if you're thinking that low. Easy one is looks or appearances, and then this is when everybody falls into they're richer, therefore they're wiser. Everyone wants to buy a book from a poor man, everybody buys the millionaire's books because you know they know how to be a millionaire, so they know what they're talking about. Interesting. And then the final one is they could buy a following, you know. They could have higher supporters or higher hands, or even yeah. people don't even know it, you know. That's just, uh, how do I say this? How do I say this? A big struggle for pastors to, you know, can, can be, is that if you have someone that is successful in your congregation, um, thankfully, thankfully I haven't had this here. Thanks be to God for this. I have heard other guys who have had struggles with members who are wealthy and who have their own ideas about how things should go. And everybody, want, or like a good amount of people wind up supporting that person because they are successful. And when the pastor says, well, that's, that's not a good idea for one reason or another, because he has the spiritual and the theological side in mind, then, then all of a sudden, you know, the pastor's seen as a fool or something because he's not listening to the rich guy or the guy who's wealthy or well-off or whatever. And, you know, I said, thankfully, I haven't had to deal with that. But there, that, is, that is kind of a struggle in the church that you'll have people say, you know, oh, if we just do X, Y, and Z, then we'll be successful. You go, well, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings people into church. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who calls, gathers, and enlightens us with the gospel. Yeah. Um, you're right, we shouldn't have, you know, a shabby church building, but if, you know, if you're saying that all we got to do is change, change the curtains and the blinds in the church and that's what's going to get, get everybody in, you go, there's more to it than that, right? There's more to it than that. Um, so that can be, yeah, a challenge for sure. Um, anyways. Yeah, nobody buys the book from the poor guy. That's true. Buying the book from the, the successful 10 things to be successful or how to enrich your Christian life. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you if I wrote a book on spirituality, it's, it would get nowhere near Joel Osteen's book. <laughs> Books, which are all the same book. Praise God. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I focus more, you know, talking about the rich man. I was 
thinking more about the uh, popular person, you know. Mm. Okay. Like ages maybe 12, 18, you're always wanting to hang out with the yeah quarterback or the cheerleader. And nowadays, it's a whole different world. It's uh, how many retweets can you get or likes on your Facebook yeah, yeah. or hits yeah. on your TikTok. I mean, it's all like, oh, I got, I'm, I'm better now, you know. Yeah, it's still all a popularity contest. Yeah. Yeah, popularity contest. And that's especially problematic in the church. Like, like let's say that you got you got a layman who's crying foul about something in the church, and he runs afoul of a higher up, and then everyone piles on the layman, or even the pastor, because they're speaking out against the higher up in the church, and you go, wait, 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 that's partiality. You know, you're showing partiality because this person's a higher up in the, in the, in the, big church body instead of actually like basically people might say something along the lines of like well they're they're in that position they know what they're talking about it's like, well that has nothing to do it's like you're not even addressing the problem right so just something to think about all right well we need to move on for time's sake james 2 verses 14 through 26 this is, this is like big stuff here so James 2, verses 12, we started a little bit late, so that's why it seems like we're going a little long here, but I asked that question beforehand, so, um, but we can, we can do it, because you know what? I'm about to simplify this tremendously for y'all, <laughs> it's because it's a, it's a tough bit. Just take out verse 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, uh, yeah, a person is justified by works and not by faith. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna okay, talk good. about it. All right. We should just jump to that. I cannot right. just like I can't just pull the pin on that grenade and set it there. You know. Um, yeah. I'll dive on it for you. Don't worry. It's it's okay. Um, back all right. To find is it Romans where he? We'll get to okay. it. Don't worry. We'll get to it. <laughs> all right. Who wants to read James chapter two verses fourteen through twenty six to start us off? I got it. Okay. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth the prophet? Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O lame man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he, he had offered Isaac his son upon the, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, let's just go through this bit by bit, and we're going to get to it, okay? So verse 14, we're going to do the look portion here. So verse 14, that, that faith. Quote, unquote, that faith. In this section, James is clearly warning his readers against thinking that they can have faith but no deeds or no good works, right? Such faith is an imagined faith. 
Faith will produce works out of love for Christ. Faith without works is dead. Okay? Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled. God had already declared that Abraham was justified by what he did. Um, God's verdict on Abraham was fulfilled in the sense that Abraham put on display the faith that justified him. God and everyone around Abraham saw visible proof of his of his invisible faith. This statement alone proves that James is not teaching salvation by works. Okay. Okay, we're gonna don't don't worry. I just didn't like the way James I, said that. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't <laughs> like the way I don't. Yeah, I don't like the way you said that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I will tell you there are some issues with translation. Okay, I'm gonna get to those issues of translation in verse 24. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll get there. So let's start from the beginning, though. Describe the kind of faith the writer condemns in verses 14 through 17. Hollow faith or faith that works. Yeah. It's, faith not action. Yeah, is it worth anything? I was reminded of the verse that says, You praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. You are like whitewashed tombs, mm -hmm. right? Um, outwardly you are clean, but inwardly you are rotten. Yeah. It's good. That's a good connection. You, you say you're a Christian, but can't tell. You don't show it. Yeah, it doesn't there's there's no way to tell. It's like saying and he uses this, this analogy, I'll get to it. It's 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 like the image of a corpse. Yeah, it's a person. It's on the back side of what you were wearing. So you see, uh, it's it's like a, a dead body, right? Uh, it looks like a person, but there's no life in it, right? Something missing, yeah? And, and that's really what it is. You know, it, the, the faith that he talks about in verses 14 through 17, it is just words. Uh, there are no deeds, um, it is just as productive as a person who sees someone in need and wishes them well without doing anything to help them, right? Um, it's, it's like I said before, you, you know, you're passing by a river and you see somebody drowning and you just go, hope that works out for you. That's it, you know? It also reminds me of, uh, I forget where this is in the Bible, but what, what, good is a, what good is a light or a lamp if you light it and then cover it? Yeah, yeah. You want the light to... So let your mm -hmm. let your light so shine so that those who see it may glorify God. That's what Jesus says, yeah, right? Because you can. You can light something and the flame will be there and you can cover it. And it goes out. And it goes out. <laughs> yeah. But you can shield it to where it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's still like there, but it's not really doing anything. Yeah, it's not. It's not that little flame there. is not really doing anything. That's right. yeah. yeah. It's a good way to see it. <clears throat> Any other thoughts about that? The kind of faith that he's talking about. Well, like the Pharisees all show, but no sus substance. Yeah, no substance. Yeah, um, yeah. They tithe dill, mint, and cumin, that sort of thing. But it's like their real wealth that they hold back. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just words, right? Um, it's empty. It's hollow. Nothing's there. Nothing of real substance. So. That next question, some claim to believe in God, but they bring forth no fruit in their lives. 
what is the chief characteristic of that kind of belief? It profits nothing. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So, what else? This is even the demons believe in God. Yeah. Um, and they tremble. Yeah. But it takes more than just believing. Yeah, I mean, there's more to it than just saying, I believe there is a God, right? I mean, um, it's one of those, yeah, so even, even the demons believe and they shudder. So there's a knowledge there, but there's no trust. There's no faith. Um, it's like, it's like falling off a cliff and somebody throwing you a rope and you saying, I believe there's a rope there, <laughs> but it's not doing you any good, right? Yeah, grab it, <laughs> grab it. Yeah. I mean, the analogy falls apart at some point in time, of course, right? I mean, as far as uh, uh, salvation and, and, and all, all that sort of thing, but it's, it's, it's similar in that sense, you know, um, uh, it's like, I believe, I believe there is a God, but if you don't know what that God has done for you, or you don't believe in what that God has done for you, you get no benefit for it. Um, you know, the devils know God exists. And in that sense, they believe in him, but they have no faith that he died for them, nor is there any love in their hearts. Their belief does nothing. It's worthless. Yeah. I mean, they have the, the revelation of God, and anybody can say that, really, if they're honest with themselves. They can look out in nature and say, I believe there's a God. How could all this be made without some divine aspect to it? But it doesn't save them. It doesn't save them at all. It's worthless. Uh, they need that extra revelation of God's word and, 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 you know, to what Christ has done for them to be actual, to have the benefit of salvation. Um, <clears throat> any, any, any other thoughts about that? Well, I guess I'm on a totally different page on that one. So okay. what brought to my mind was, uh, I don't have to do any fruits in my life. I'll just be like the thief on the cross and have a last minute uh, confession. That's, and, uh, yeah. I that's go anyway. Yeah, that's another thing too. Yeah, that's that's as part of it. Yeah, that's that's hollow. It, it's it's worthless, right? That's why I, I think I've said this before. We were counseled in the seminary never to accept, or at least very rarely accept, a deathbed confession of faith. Hmm. If there's somebody that lived their entire life in licentiousness and lawlessness and sinfulness, and then all of a sudden they're about to die, and they say, "Oh, I've." I've always believed, and, and, da, 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 and, and pastors are said, you know, go with God. That's that's all I can say. You know, basically, it's like most of the time, if someone makes it that long, especially if they, especially if they live a long life of sin, deliberate and unrepentant sin, most of the time, you can bet that that confession is probably not genuine. Yeah, doesn't you Jesus know? also say? No. But you don't condemn them. You just simply say. I, I, I can't, I, you know, that's between you and God right now. That's not for me to say. Yeah. Go ahead. Was it Jesus that said, not everyone who says, my Lord, my Lord. Will enter the kingdom, will of, enter heaven, the kingdom yeah. of heaven. Lord, Lord, didn't we do these great things in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. I mean, that's going to be a lot of Christians, or at least people that we think are Christians, I'm sure. Um we don't know who they are, but uh, they will be revealed on the last day, right? Like the sheep and the goats. 
You know, they'll say like, when, Lord, when did we not do these things? Right? And, and it was, for one reason or another, not according to faith that was done. Right? It, was, it was faithless. Yeah. Mm. Lawless. Yeah, I think people would be surprised about who makes it and who doesn't. When they I think so. <laughs> I think so. We're all going to be very surprised, I think. Yeah. No matter what church you're from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we as Lutherans never say that, you know, we're not, we're not sectarian and saying you must be a Lutheran to be saved. You know, there are, there are Christians in all churches as long as they confess, you know, the truth of, you know, as long as they confess the, the truth of the Trinity on, you know, that, you know, we would say they're in danger from false doctrine on some level, but they're not necessarily outside of the saving truth of Christ. Yeah. Um, but there's danger there. Um, so let's move on to Abraham and Isaac. Okay. Review the story of Abraham sacrificing or nearly sacrificing his son Isaac. Okay. Read God's response to Abraham in Genesis 22. Let's turn there. Genesis 22, verses 11 through 18. So... We see Genesis 22. We see this, verses 11 through 18. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, ah, man, bowels are tough. Abraham, Abraham. There we go. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate, and your offspring offspring shall possess the gate of of um, of of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? So, what role did Abraham's works play in God fulfilling his promises to Abraham? And how does this help us understand James's statement in verse 24? So first of all, what role did Abraham's works play in God fulfilling his promises to Abraham? What's that? I'm going to say nothing. Oh, it did nothing? Okay. I put it, initiated it. In, it initiated, uh, like, played in God fulfilling his promises to Abraham? Like his acts were this. The promise didn't come until after he did his work. Well, that's not, is that true? No, no. No, that's not really true because he promised beforehand, even before Isaac was born, right? You that's will have a, a chapter, son. That's in chapter 15. Yeah, chapter 15. 
There's the promise. In chapter 22, it's like, and God said a second time, I will. Right. So, it, but it says, it says, you know, it says, because you have obeyed my voice. <coughs> so what do you do with that? Because you have obeyed my voice, what do you do with that? That basically says, I think what God, God instructs you yeah, to do, yeah. you do. What's that? What God instructs you to do, you do. Okay. So then that's, is that works? Or is, is that is that not works? Well, his faith came first in chapter 15. Right. Yeah. Right. And his this came faith. later because God promised him, mm -hmm. your offspring shall be as numerous as... He did that before, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in chapter 15. Uh -huh. That's the promise that God gave him. Uh -huh. So here, I mean, he's... As hard as a thing as that was to do, he still is trusting that God is going to fulfill his promise. Mm -hmm. He's having enough fear of God to do what God is telling him to do because he knew God promised him this. Right, and fear of God is faith. Fear yes. of God is faith, yeah. So... Let's just be very blunt about this and just straightforward. Abraham was justified by faith, okay? Because even James says that too, right? He uses that same quotation that Paul does, right? In Romans, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And then when you get, and that informs verse 24 in James chapter 2. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. When you look at the Greek for that, the word for that is a word, you know, the by, right? When you see um, he is justified by works and not by faith alone, the real meaning of that word is out of. He is justified out of works and not, what does it say here, like, what is that verse 24? So you see that out of works, a man is righteous and not out of faith alone. Alone, right? In that faith, again, going back to the meme with Frodo and Sam, faith is never alone. There is always works accompanying faith. Even if that work is simply saying, thanks be to God, Right? Um, and you may not see the work that God is is doing through you. Yeah. It's not always going to be visible to you. Yeah. There are things that you can do that are visible. I mean, the Ten Commandments are right there for mm -hmm. you to love your neighbor and it be visible. Yeah, exactly. And so the point of this is to say, um, so, okay, the question is, what role did Abraham's work in play in God fulfilling his promises to Abraham? They played... <laughs> So, God had given the promise, and Abraham believed the promise. His faith was credited as righteousness. Now, however, Abraham was put to the test, and he showed his faith by his willingness to follow God's commands. When God saw this, he attached his promises not only to Abraham's faith, but also to his works, because his works followed the faith. They go hand in hand, right? Nowhere is God saying, I'm justifying you because you obeyed me. 
It is only by saying this is a confirmation of what you've already believed. Yeah. So in that sense, in that sense, the strictest sense, no, his works did not contribute to the promise being fulfilled only, right? Because those works were not by themselves, just like his faith was not by itself. And that may be the struggle that we're having to face here because this morning, you know, I had to I had to address something with Tim because he said he said, well, that's not works. I was like, that's not works? Was Tim like trying to, no, he's, he wasn't cracking a joke or something no, weird? No, no, no. He was, he was being sincere. I, so I basically, I just said, it seems like you have a problem with the word works by itself. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, then let's not put it by itself. Let's put it with faith. Because that's what it is, right? That's what it is. Evidence. What's that? It is the evidence of faith. It is the confirmation of faith. Um the visible expression. Yeah, works yes, exactly. Faith. The visible expression of your faith. It's like attaching faith and then attaching in Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Faith is never in and of itself by itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, because if it was, then we wouldn't need Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? You are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. And you are God's workmanship created for good works which he has prepared for you beforehand so that you would walk in them right we wouldn't need that and that's exactly what james is saying here right that's exactly what james is saying here he's just kind of blunt he's very explicitly saying you your faith is dead without your works maybe even rahab that's what he says um, yeah that's that's what we're about to get to she when she's talking with the spies before she does anything, she tells them, I have heard mm -hmm. of the God that delivered you from Egypt and parted the Red Sea and everything like that. That's right. So she heard first and had faith. That's right. Then the works flowed from it. That's right. Exactly. She it wasn't like God. she was just out of ignorance, did these works, and then she was like, oh, the, oh I did the right thing. and." I'm yeah. just going to keep doing that, and now I'm going to have, yeah. you know, faith. It's, when you point it out, like, if you try to make it sound like that, it's foolish. It just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, so the, so Scripture speaks about God um, attaching his promises to both faith and works because they're never alone, right? Um, it's difficult to analyze this from a strictly, strictly doctrinal standpoint, but Christians... We understand it properly, and we don't fall into works righteousness. You know, we realize James is reflecting how God spoke to Abraham, because Abraham already had faith, which justified him. But now God saw that faith in action. And on the basis of that faith-created action, God renewed his blessing to Abraham. It was confirmed in that way. Right? God saw his heart. He knew that he believed. Right? And in some sense, it was not only for God's benefit, it was actually probably also for Isaac's benefit that he saw what happened with, with his father and how he trusted in God. Right? I mean, really, because if you think about that old adage that Luther gives, that he says, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. In essence, you could say that Isaac benefited from that good work of obedience by his father so that he would know the true power of God. Yeah? Well, this is a little tangenty. 
Yeah. Okay. How old do we think that Isaac was when all this was? He's probably like in his twenties or maybe early thirties. I thought I heard you preach on that. Yeah. He was about marriageable age. You always kind of put it in your mind that he's like maybe like twelve years old. No, he's carrying the wood for the sacrifice. He's got to be. He's he's got to be pretty strong for that. You know, because at, at one point they leave the donkey and the servants, and he he makes Isaac carry the wood for the burnt offering. So a little kid can't carry that wood. That takes a lot of a lot of wood for a big fire for an animal. You know, in some sense that foreshadowed the cross that Christ would carry too. So that's another thing that's kind of cool. Anyways, um, but you see there that 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 probably benefited the most Isaac, who passed on the faith to his sons and so on and so forth, right? So, um, yeah, um, when you see that verse 24, uh, you need to read it in this way because of the Greek. Read it in this way. You see that a person is justified out of or from works and not by faith alone. Do not read that as justification through works. Okay? Does that make sense a little bit? Um, because what the difference is, is that it is, if you read that as saying, which like I said, it's a, it, it, it needs to be cleared up in the translation. You see that a person is justified. We read that to say through works. Why isn't right? it cleared up in the translation? Um, because very roughly, that's what the Greek means. Saved by, you know, justified by works and not by faith alone. Prepositions. That, get modeled really easily. Yeah. I mean, that's coming from somebody who's like totally ignorant. No, it's okay. I mean, um, the, the Greek, the Greek is, I mean, it's, it's James is, James is hard Greek, but this, this verse is actually very clear. Um, for you see that out of works and it deliberately doesn't say through works because there is a preposition for that in Greek. So it would be justified out of works and not out Out, of faith alone? Yeah. Okay. And not out of faith alone or from faith alone, right? Um, It's just coming out of it, not through it. So in the sense that our justification is made sure by our works, right? It's confirmed by our works. Um, You can definitely go too far with that. Some some Christians do, like Calvinists. Uh, you know, uh, they'll they will um, you know some not not all some will go the route of saying you know how can you be sure of your salvation? Check your fruit, right? So you hear this phrase of fruit checking, but the point is is that you don't you're not reassured by your own salvation because of your works. You're reassured of salvation because of the knowledge of Christ, right? Believing in what God has said has been done for you. To to be very clear about that, this is a good way to distinguish this. Because oftentimes we like we we focus on this, okay? That we are justified by grace through faith alone. That's it. End of story. That's it. We don't like to talk about good works most of the time because, well, we don't like sounding possibly, maybe, like Roman Catholics, okay? Right? Because they abuse this. They abuse this heavily, where they will say, well, it says, faith apart from works is dead, therefore, uh, faith and works, is, it's like salvation cannot be separated from 
works. Yeah, you can't take it too far and be like, well, you have to do works to save your soul. Yeah, exactly. You cannot do that. That's that's a total misreading of James. Yeah. The Roman Catholics do that. But we can't shy away from what God's Word is saying, so we have to talk about what good works mean, right? So let's just answer it this way. People think that Paul is at odds with James, right? But they're both answering different questions. Think about that. Paul's at, Paul, Paul is asking a question, how do I know that, how do I know that I am justified? That's the question that he's asking deliberately. James is asking a different question, and it's not at odds. James asks the question, how does the world know that I'm justified? Okay? How does the world know that I'm a Christian? Yeah, now that you're saved. How are you going to show people that you're set apart? Mm-hmm. Being made holy. Being made holy. Sanctified for a certain apart. purpose. Yeah, exactly. So you have this, this issue. Um, uh, yeah, a second. You will know them by their fruits. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. So you should understand, like, you should be concerned about what you're doing or not doing. And, um, and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, you should be concerned, not so concerned that you wonder if you're saved, right? But you should be concerned because it's like, um, well, you need to, you need to first be confident that your salvation is secure in Christ, but then you should heed the warning of Peter when he says, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing as a Christian now and not being a hypocrite. Um, and so it's one of those things like Jesus says in Matthew 28, we like to focus on baptizing and making um, disciples we don't quite always emphasize the teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? Yeah, but that's part of it. You make disciples by baptizing and teaching together to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Um, that goes into, I guess, Rahab on some level right here. So uh, after using Rahab as another example of a person whose faith was displayed by her actions, James concludes his discussion so how do his words in verse 26 support everything we have said so far about what James means by faith? Uh, works are a fruit of faith. You are saved by faith, and you witness by works, or you are a witness by works. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it says you're saved, so act like it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I, it's put another way, um, and I thought this was a good way to think about it too. Of course, it can go too far, but if you think about it in the most general sense, your works uh, are a, so it's like basically, how, how do you put this? Um, he said, let me see, this is a book from one of my professors. <coughs> he said, um, good works, oh yeah, that's right. Good works show that God has been justified in declaring you righteous. Think about, think about that for a second here. You know, you say, you know, like, why would God choose you, poor sinner, to be saved, right? 
And then when you go and you do good works, you repent of whatever sin has been dragging you down or whatever, that shows that God is justified in justifying you. It's a different way to look at it. Again, you can take it too far, but that's maybe, maybe a little helpful in thinking about it in some way. Um, you make your calling sure. Yeah. Um, when he says in verse 26, you, in, in the King James and the, uh, the English Standard Version, I'm sure in the New King James it says the same thing. It says, the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Um, I think we need to be a little more basic, okay? Um, we should rightly view that word panoima, right? Um, the word panoima, which is the word for spirit, it also means breath, right? So when you read in like, uh, was it 1 Timothy 3.16, where it says all scripture is breathed out by God, uh, you can read that as inspired. The spirit works through the word of God. And Paul is probably meaning that in the fullest sense, right? But there's nothing here that really says that James is speaking abstractly like that. I think he's being very concrete. I think he's just saying, um, he's saying basically, for as the party... For as the body apart from the breath is dead, right? How 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 do you tell when someone's dead? Are they breathing or not? Breathing. Yeah, mm-hmm. they probably knew about the pulse on some level, but I mean, in this in the ancient world, you don't have a coroner, you don't have paramedics, you don't have a JP to come by and pronounce a death. Or when you got to check. Witness something die, or when they die, and then they and they're not last breath, and they're not breathing anymore. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is that. Um, so basically, just like you see a corpse, it looks like a person, but they're not alive. They're dead. They have no breath in them. So therefore, if someone says, I have faith, but nothing's coming from that faith, you say that faith is dead. It doesn't work. Any, it doesn't, doesn't do anything. So you can see it in this way. Um, what is it? This is something, if you want to write this down, you can. If not, I think this is very helpful to think about it this way. Um, so... Breath proves life, right? But doesn't cause it. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Likewise, right? Likewise, works. Prove faith, but doesn't cause it. Did you just come up with that? (laughs) I read it. (laughs) But it's it's extremely helpful, right? Uh I mean, that's literally what James is saying. I mean, you can tell someone's alive by their breath. You can tell someone has faith by their works. It's really that simple. So simple. And it's amazing how much we complicate it, right? It's kind of insane. But maybe that's Satan trying to cause confusion. Hope was uh, having a discussion with somebody like that one time, and she, like, called me, and she was telling me about her day and stuff. And she had spoken with somebody, and and they were saying, man, I just don't feel, man, I just, I haven't done enough for Christ yet. I haven't done enough for Christ. It's like, man, 
You can never do enough. Guess what? Christ did something for you. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I remember when I first, I was, when I. Yeah, I remember that. You <laughs> <laughs> were like, what? why are you coming to church? And I was like, man, I just want to, you know, give something back. You know, I want to give my life back to God or something like that. Yeah. And then I started listening to something and he was like, no, you're here to receive. Yeah. You're here to receive what God has done for you. Yeah. Yeah, you come to church to receive and give thanks for what you receive. Yeah. And by the way, Thanksgiving is a good work. I was listening to, <laughs> my, I was listening to too much of Hank Hammergraff at the time. Yeah, he's Eastern Orthodox now, so. Yeah. So, I hope that helps. I find it very helpful, honestly. Um, so with that, we can close... That's, that's kind of a good place to stop, unless y'all want to really dive into how that last question on apply. Um, and does anyone want to share anything about that? Like a Christian friend, it says, it says a Christian friend just, just, uh, just finished reading the book of James and is bothered by his statements on faith and works. Practice explaining to your friend what we have learned in this lesson. What would you say to that person when they say, I'm really bothered by that, where he says, you know, faith without works is dead? What is that? What do I do with that? What do you tell them? I tell them to go to the website, pull up the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> pull up the podcast. <laughs> we covered this in Bible study. Yeah, right. Study. We covered this in Bible we'll study. Go it. listen to it, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> works will come if your faith is true. Don't worry about the works. Work on yeah. your faith, and the works will come naturally. That's Through right. That. And That's don't right. Don't be so overly concerned about seeing, about seeing all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I heard a pastor say once. He goes, "We want to see our fruits of Ethan too." <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's times where yes, you're going to see yeah. the fruits of your yeah. of your works, but there's there's things that God is doing through you that may be. That Come, come to fruition, and, literally. Yeah, later on. and you may yeah. never encounter this person or this ever again. That's right. And it's God still working His work. That's right. I think we forget that. And I'm sorry if this seems like I'm talking about politics again, but it's like all the time we're looking for a quick fix in some election cycle. Yeah. And we think that we're going to elect the right guy. To get in there, and it's all going to go back to paradise like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, sorry, that's just very foolish to think that way. I mean, hard work on the right things takes time and effort. And, you know, it's basically like saying, so I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a one-year-old. It's basically like saying, can't these kids just be 25 already? <laughs> it's like... Why can't they just grow up? Grow up, Charlotte. Grow up, Henry. You know, it's, come on now. But it's like, no, it takes time. It takes time to do the right things with, with people and with uh, you know, church or whatever. Culture takes time to cultivate. Good works and fruit may come after you've planted the seed. You, know, you just won't see it sometimes. So you got to be patient. And yeah, be patient. God will be given the credit for the growth. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's the other thing to keep in mind too. Whenever Jesus says, let your light so shine, he doesn't say that you would be glorified, but that others would glorify God. Yeah. Um, so 
This is all about what God has done for us and does through us, uh, just as a matter of course as a Christian. You know, the Bible does say when the righteous rules, people rejoice. When the unrighteous rules, people groan. Yeah. And right now, I'm groaning a lot. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. So the whole creation groans as in pains of childbirth yeah, right. to the present time. Yeah. But soon that child will be delivered and we will forget all of the pain because we will be new creations and we will be brought forth into everlasting life and we'll be giving thanks and praise for all eternity. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right? I'm really glad that you picked this because it is challenging. It is challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah, I was, I was, I was worried about going through this chapter. I was like, oh man, what am I gonna say? What am I gonna say? But thankfully, you know, uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, right. Right. The resources that I have, though, I, I really appreciate uh, Dr. Scare's insight on on these things, and um, uh, it's been very helpful. And so, yeah, I got I got that from him. Right, breath. Breath, breath proves life, but doesn't cause it. Likewise, works prove faith, but doesn't cause it. I think it's, that helps me out a lot, honestly. All right. Well, how about let's close it off there. Um, did pretty good on time. We did start late, so let's take that into consideration. Um, let's go ahead and close, though, with the Lord's Prayer. So, taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.